My favourite type of movies are movies that have a twist at the end of them or TV shows where it's the same. And so I've intentionally chosen some really old movies because if you haven't seen these by now, well, they're a fair while ago. So (laughs) apologies if you didn't know there was a twist in these movies. So obviously there's an iconic scene in The Empire Strikes Back, these two guys, Luke and Darth Vader. So I won't actually say what happens, but you know, there's a pretty significant twist that happens in that movie. Uh, whether it's a movie like The Sixth Sense or The Usual Suspects, these amazing movies where you go all the way through, you think you know exactly what's going on, and then all of a sudden something happens and it flips it all completely on its head. Ali and I uh, love this TV show that's called This Is Us. And part of the reason why we love it so much is because at the end of almost every single episode, something happens which just makes you go, what? I did not see that coming in the slightest. And a part of the reason why I love watching movies like that or TV shows like that is because, as I said, you're kind of just going along and you think, yeah, we've got this all sorted out. I know exactly what's happening. And then out of absolutely nowhere, you realise you were completely wrong. And you had no idea what was going on the whole time. That person wasn't actually that person at all. Or that wasn't what was happening behind the scenes. And you have to stop. And then all of a sudden the lights start to come on. And you see everything back through the perspective of understanding. Oh, this is what was actually going on the whole time. I can't believe that I missed it. So we've been working our way through the book of Colossians over the last couple of weeks and we're going to continue going. And so we've said it's this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae wrestling with this question primarily, is Jesus enough? And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Paul's answer to that is a resounding yes and then some. Jesus absolutely is enough. But today as Paul continues to help us understand how amazing Jesus is and what he's done for us, Paul also reminds us that Jesus is the biggest plot twist that has ever happened. And Jesus is this moment where all of a sudden the secret is revealed and we have to stop and rethink everything that we thought that we knew. Everything changes in the light of who Jesus is and God has shown us what that looks like. And so that should make us go, I can't believe, I didn't see that was happening the whole time, but now how do I reinterpret my life and my priorities around that? So as always, you have your teaching notes inside of Caring Connection, so if you want to jot things down, you can feel free to do that. So we're picking it up in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, where Paul writes, And now I'm happy about my sufferings for you, for by means of my physical sufferings, I'm helping to complete what still remains of Christ's sufferings on behalf of his body, the church. So Paul starts with a fairly interesting statement. I'm happy about my suffering. Is there anyone else who feels the same way? I love it when I get to suffer. This is the best thing ever. I love suffering. No, I don't think that's certainly not how I react when I experience suffering. But this is a key theme for Paul, to embrace suffering rather than to resent it. And we know that Paul experienced a fair amount of suffering in his life. Remember we talked about that this letter is written while Paul is in prison, in house arrest, in Rome. But we know Paul had some pretty significantly bad things happen to him. But he says, I'm happy about my sufferings for you. So why would he say that? Well, he says this even more confusing statement. I'm helping to complete what still remains of Christ's sufferings on behalf of his body, the church. So what does he mean by that? Because we know that Jesus suffered a lot while he was here on earth and obviously particularly leading up to his death and then his painful death on the cross. 
But surely once Jesus rose again, that was kind of the end of his physical suffering. And Paul says, yes, that's right. But Jesus continues to suffer whenever any of us who are following him suffer. And so Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for you because my suffering helps me to enter into what I know Jesus is going through. That any time that we don't experience life the way that it's supposed to be, Jesus feels that with us. And so Paul says, I'm happy that I get to experience and enter into the same thing that Jesus is feeling. And for us as a church, because of the sense of connection that we've got, Paul wants to push the Colossians to recognise that is true for them as well. That when any one of us suffer, there's a level of our interconnectedness, meaning that we all suffer together. When one of you suffer, I suffer. When I'm struggling, we struggle in that together because we're connected through Jesus who enters into and experiences the same suffering that we do. Paul then continues and says in verse 25, And I've been made a servant of the church by God, who gave me this task to perform for your good. It's the task of fully proclaiming his message, which is the secret that he hid through all past ages from all human beings, but has now revealed to his people. So Paul sees his role as God's servant to proclaim fully the message about Jesus, which includes everything that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, but also what he's just said, recognising that following Jesus can produce suffering in our lives, but that's okay because this isn't the end of the story. And Paul also then goes on to say that proclaiming his message, proclaiming the message that Jesus has given him, is proclaiming this secret or this mystery that's been hidden throughout all past ages. So what does he mean by that? Well, what Paul doesn't mean is that God's kind of been playing this mean game of hide and seek, where he's been off hiding somewhere and making us all go and search. Nor does it mean that God's kind of been leaving all these clues, but as we talked about with the kids, it's this mean treasure hunt where there's actually nothing at the end of it or it's far too confusing. Paul is certainly not saying that. What he is saying, as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, is that once Jesus came, the mystery was revealed. The secret was shown to us of what God is like. As we walk through the Old Testament, we see these bits and pieces being revealed. God continues to say to the Israelites, this is what it looks like to live in a full, complete relationship with me and to live at peace with each other. But the Israelites keep saying, thanks, but no thanks to what God is offering them, and they walk away from that. And so because of that, there's this distortion or this noise that gets introduced, which means that we can't see God clearly. We don't understand what God is up to. But when Jesus comes, he's the full representation of God. Jesus comes and there's no secret anymore. There's no mystery anymore. We now know exactly what God is like and what God has been up to the whole time because we see it completely in Jesus. So that's something that we should recognise and ask ourselves, how lucky are we that we live on the other side of that mystery having been revealed? I feel sorry for the Israelites a lot of the time because how hard must it have been for them to struggle, misunderstand what God was all about and what God was like and what God was up to. We live on the other side of that. We know what God is like because Jesus has shown us. We know what God thinks about us because Jesus has shown us. The challenge for us, which we're going to come back to as we go through the message, is do we live like it? 
Do we live with that recognition that the mystery has been revealed? Paul continues then in verse 27. It says, God's plan is to make known his secret to his people, this rich and glorious secret which he has for all people. And the secret is that Christ is in you, which means that you will share in the glory of God. Last week we talked about how God had this plan and it was a plan that he was pleased with. It wasn't something he did begrudgingly or as an afterthought. God was excited and intentional in revealing his plan to every single one of us and to every single one of us, not just to a specific group of people, not just to the Jewish people, but to Jews and non-Jews, Gentile people alike. God wanted to reveal this secret to everyone. And what is the secret? Well, Paul puts it this way. The secret is this. Christ is in you. Christ is in you. This is a very, very favourite phrase for Paul. He uses it over 170 times in his letters. Don't miss that. 170 times Paul uses this phrase, Christ in you or Christ is in you. And it's no wonder that he loved talking about what this was about. Because think about the implications of what he's saying. Think about what Paul has shown us that Jesus is. Jesus is the one who everything was created through. Jesus is the one who sits in authority over all of creation. Jesus is the one who is the physical representation of God, who shows us exactly what God is like. Jesus is the one who unites us. Jesus is the one who holds us together and holds all of creation together. Jesus is the one who gives us peace with God. Jesus is the one who allows us to be friends with God. Jesus is the one who presents us before God as holy, blameless, pure. That Jesus lives in you. That Jesus lives in you. That Jesus lives in you. That Jesus lives in me. That is staggering when you think about what Paul is saying. And this is really what the heart of the gospel is, the good news that we keep coming back to. God has come to us in Jesus to show us what he's like. He's done everything that's necessary for us to have a full and complete relationship with God. And now God lives in us through Jesus, in each one of us, but in us collectively as well. And so that's why we talk about language like inviting Jesus into our lives or surrendering to Jesus or giving our lives to Jesus. And particularly when we talk about baptism, that's one of the things that we talk about, surrendering ourselves to Jesus, symbolically dying to ourselves and coming back to life in Jesus. So the question for us is, given that that mystery and that secret has been revealed, do we live that way? Or is this something that we continue to try and strive and earn? When we get up each day, is our focus, how do I earn God's love? How do I earn God's favour in my life? How do I do enough so that God might like me? Or is our focus, Jesus lives in me. Whatever I get up to today, Jesus is going to be a part of that. As we think about our practices, something like prayer, for example. Do we see prayer as this thing where we're trying to convince God to do some things that he may or may not want to do? Or do we see prayer as this opportunity to listen to the voice of God that is already inside of us because of Jesus? 
And ultimately, what does all of that mean? Well, it gets even better. Paul says, because Jesus lives in us, we then get to share in the glory of God. Another way of saying that phrase, glory of God, is the glorified state of perfection, which God experiences all of the time in heaven. Because Jesus lives in us, we get to experience, in the here and now, but even more for eternity, this glorified state of perfection, the way that God always wanted us to be for eternity. Jesus' death is the thing that makes us right with God, but Jesus' resurrection means that we get to become fully alive, fully perfected, fully the way that God wants us to be. The message translation of all of this sums it up beautifully. It says this, This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery, in a nutshell, is just this. Christ is in you, so therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. This is the substance of our message. That's a beautiful way of summing up what life is all about. The secret, the mystery, is Jesus. It's not about us having to chase philosophy or chase theology or chase a bunch of spiritual practices or anything else in order to understand God. Jesus lives in us. And so now we can live out of the freedom that comes from that relationship. It doesn't mean those other things aren't important. It is important for us to have good theology and for us to participate in spiritual practices that help us grow our relationship with God. But all of those things are secondary to recognising that Jesus is the mystery revealed to us. So Paul continues and says, So we preach Christ to everyone. With all possible wisdom, we warn and teach them in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature individual in union with Christ. To get this done, I toil and I struggle using the mighty strength which Christ supplies and which is at work in me. And so Paul says their role as a church community is to warn and to teach each other. Now, when we think about the word warning, we generally think about something dangerous. Look out, something's going to happen that's really, really bad. But in actual fact, the word warn that Paul is using is really tapping into the idea of what are our motives and what's going on in our heart. So we might say we challenge and teach people, challenge people to say what's happening inside of you as well as teaching what's happening in your mind and what are the thought patterns that you've got. Paul says, we challenge people to stop and to think about what their motives are. Am I motivated by selfishness or am I motivated by others-centeredness, the way that God wants me to be able to live? Are we living the way that God created us to live and the way that God wants us to live? Because ultimately, Paul says, the goal is for all of us to grow to maturity in union with Jesus, to keep allowing ourselves to be refined and challenged to grow and to develop so that we more and more resemble what Jesus is like, the Jesus that lives inside of us. So practically speaking, allows us to wrestle with questions like this. When I walk into a room, what's my focus? Is my focus on how can everyone look at me and focus on me? Or is my focus, how can I look at other people and see how I can serve them? 
As I think about an opportunity, do I think about what's in this for me? Is it worth it for me? Or do I think about how is this an opportunity to make a difference in other people's lives? As I think about the things that I say, am I focused on how I can encourage other people? Say, I'm so grateful for what you do. I'm so grateful that you bring this into my life and that you have this impact around us. Or is our focus, well, I hope that people are saying nice things about me. Ultimately, what's going on in our hearts and our minds? Paul says, we challenge and we teach so that people can ultimately become like Jesus. And ultimately, he says, that's what his whole life is all about. And he says, I toil and I struggle to do this. Again, recognising that that isn't an easy choice all of the time. Sometimes it is really hard for us to have that Jesus-centred focus. But we can get by through the mighty strength that Jesus gives us. As we flip over into chapter 2 then, Paul says, Let me tell you how hard I've worked for you and for the people in Laodicea and for all the others who don't know me personally. I do this in order that they may be filled with courage and may be drawn together in love and so have the full wealth of assurance which true understanding brings. In this way, they will know God's secret, which is Christ himself. He's the key that opens all the hidden treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. Now, a better translation of that first verse is probably, I want you to know how hard that I have worked for you, rather than Paul saying, let me tell you how hard I have been working for you, because that kind of comes off slightly wrong. Let me tell you just for a minute how hard I've been working for you. Paul's really trying to say, I want you to know and understand how hard that I've been working for you. And that phrase, how hard I've been working for you, is actually something that's lifted directly from Greek athletes who are preparing to participate in the Games, what ultimately turns into the Olympics. So Paul says, just like an athlete when they're getting ready for the Olympics has a huge level of focus, diligence, discipline, making sure that they throw themselves fully into what their goal is, that's how hard I've been working for you. I want you to understand that I've been giving that same level of focus, diligence, discipline, hard work into what I'm doing. Now, there is this weird comment that Paul makes here where he says, how hard I've been working for you and the people in Laodicea. And we said at the start, because isn't this a letter to the Colossians? What's going on here? We said at the start that Paul probably never actually went to Colossae, but rather there was this guy Epaphras who came and spent time with him and Timothy in Ephesus and then learnt from them and then went back and planted the church. So I don't think that the reason here is that Paul was a bit confused about geography. He never went there, so he, whoops, wrong name. That's not what was going on. A little bit later on, Paul says in chapter 4, I can personally testify to Epaphras' hard work for you and the people in Laodicea and Heropolis. And so there was actually these three cities that were all really close to each other, Colossae, Heropolis, and Laodicea. And the understanding is that this guy Epaphras went and spent time in each of those cities and that there was one church that was focused in all of those three places that probably shared leadership together, probably shared resources together, and worked together. And so when Paul says, how hard I've been working for you in Colossae and Laodicea, he's saying kind of in that whole region, I've been working really, really hard for you. And so why does he work this hard? Well, there's a number of things that he says here. He says, I've been working hard so that you can be filled with courage, drawn together in love, have a wealth of assurance, and so that you can know Jesus. 
And so Paul says, I've been giving that same level of diligence that an athlete gives to getting ready for the Olympics. I've been giving that into my work for you so that you can be encouraged. And being encouraged means to strengthen or to give courage to someone. So I want you to feel strong. I want you to feel courageous about what it looks like to follow Jesus. I want you to be drawn together in love. And that phrase is the same set of words that he uses in Ephesians 4 when he talks about the body being joined together in love. And there he fleshes that out a bit further by saying that the ligaments and tendons in a body are the love that God has for us. The thing that holds us together as a body together is God's love. Just like ligaments and tendons allow our bodies to work properly when they're working properly, that's what God's love is like for us as a community. He also says he wants them to have a wealth of assurance. So I'm working really hard so that you can feel confident in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And ultimately all of this is so that you can know Jesus. That's the goal, to recognise again. It's not about us trying to earn this or work hard enough to get it, to understand that Jesus lives in us. And then he rounds out by saying, Jesus is the key that opens all the hidden treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. And that phrase, hidden treasures, is a phrase that was used often in talking about initiation rites. And so, as you know, earlier in the year, we went up to Uluru for a visit up there. And as we walked around the rock, they talked about how there are all of these sacred sites. And some of those sites we're not even allowed to go and visit because there are secret initiations that you need to go through in order to be able to understand what is happening there. There's an initiation or a set of rites of passage that you need to go through in order to get specific information. And Paul says, the good news for us is we have been initiated. We have been through those rites of passage and God now gives us all of that secret hidden information. All of those hidden treasures have been revealed to us because of Jesus. Again, the message translation puts it this way. I want you woven into a tapestry of love in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you'll have minds confident and at rest focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. But there is a caution that Paul says as we wrap up this part. In verse 4 he says, I tell you then, don't let anyone deceive you with false arguments, no matter how good they seem to be. And when I was reading about this term, false arguments, one of the commentaries said this beautiful bit of prose. It said, "Great, the false arguments that Paul's referring to here are like great swelling words of vanity, which like bubbles look big and make a great noise, but contain nothing but wind and emptiness. Isn't that awesome? These false arguments are like bubbles. They look so amazing. Ooh, it's so pretty. And when they pop, they make a really good noise. And then there's nothing left. We recognise actually inside was just wind and emptiness the whole time. So Paul says in verse 5, Even though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit, and I'm glad as I see the resolute firmness with which you stand together in your faith in Christ. So don't chase after these false arguments that ultimately are meaningless. Continue to have your foundation in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So as we start to wrap up today, it's a good reminder to us that our culture 
wants to impact us and wants to influence us, sometimes in negative ways as well. As we think about things like consumption and advertising and the impact that that can have on our lives, as we think about how self-centred our culture often is, as we think about the level of distraction that's present in our culture, we need to be careful. Because there's nothing wrong with us having nice things and us saving up and buying stuff. There's nothing wrong with us looking after ourselves. There's nothing wrong with us enjoying movies and TV and sport as a way of us being able to relax. But the question is, is that where we take our meaning and our purpose in life? Because ultimately all of those things are just big air bubbles that ultimately are going to pop and we'll realise there was nothing there the whole time. If we seek to get our identity, our purpose, our priorities from those things that our culture offers us, we're going to be let down. But what Paul wants us to do is to say, make your foundation, the centre of your life, Jesus. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has shown us that God is like and who we are because of Jesus and this reality that Jesus lives in us. Paul makes it crystal clear that God isn't some mystery that needs to be solved, some secret that we've got to try and find out by going through a bunch of rites of passage. And again, it's good just to remember that Paul was writing this into a context where there was this group called the Gnostics who had this firm belief that life was all about chasing after these mysteries and trying to listen to these spiritual guides who were hopefully going to reveal enough of the mystery to us that we could work out who God is. And Paul says, no, no. That's not what life is about. The mystery's been revealed. The secret has been shown to you, and it's Jesus at work in you. So, question for us to reflect on this week is this. If Jesus lives in me, how does that shape how I live my life? If Jesus lives in me, and that's a true statement right now, then how does that shape the way that I enter into this week? How does that shape the things that I focus on? So I said earlier, when I get up in the morning, how does it change my focus that Jesus lives in me? How does that change what it looks like for me to go to work, go to school, hang out with my friends, hang out with my neighbours, serve my family, do the chores that I need to do? How do those things shift because Jesus lives in me? And as I think about my relationship with God and what it looks like to grow that, How does that change? Because Jesus lives in me. The mystery has been revealed to us. So the challenge for us this week is to say, are we going to live like it? I'm going to pray that God will help us to be able to do exactly that. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you aren't some mystery to be solved You aren't a God who just puts a bunch of clues out there or a set of breadcrumbs that we have to try and follow in the hope that we might discover who you are or get a glimpse of who you are. You have done everything necessary to show us fully what you're like, to show us fully what your purposes have been in creation since the very beginning. You simply wanted us to be included, to be a part of your family, to experience life the way that you created us to live. And so we thank you that you've shown us that in Jesus and you've done everything that is required for us to be able to have a full, complete relationship with you in the here and now and as we head into this week. 
So my prayer is that for each one of us, regardless of where we're at in our journey, this week would be a week of us exploring that more, to dare to believe for some of us that it could be true that Jesus lives in me right now in all the things that I'm going to do this week. Jesus is already at work in my life. I don't have to strive. I don't have to search. I don't have to try and work things out. You're at work in our lives. And so I pray that as we get up each day, we would get up with a sense of excitement about what it looks like for us to live with that understanding that our life is not about striving, but our life is about living with you. In your name we pray. Amen.